Good morning. You ever known anybody um, whose personality is bigger than life? I mean, the kind of person that uh, when you're at a um, party or something, you're talking to some people and somebody walks in the door and all of a sudden it just feels like all the energy in the room just gets sucked out of your conversation directly to that person. You know what I mean? We've all kind of been around those people. The reality is they know how to wield the power of their presence and their personality, and they can wield it for good or they can wield it for bad, for whatever cause they have. But sometimes there are people that have this personality that's bigger than life. And without a question, Saul, who becomes Paul, is one of those people. I wanted to show us this clip this morning just to give us a sense of the visual for what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, this is Saul. We know later on that he becomes Paul. Um, and we talk a lot about Paul. We've talked a lot about him in, in here in South City. And we talk a lot about him in the church and different messages. We know that he accomplished a great deal for the Lord, right? We know that he was literally a, 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 an amazing missionary force for the gospel all around the world. Most theologians, in fact, think that Paul, only second to, to Jesus, changed the history of the world. Not just the history of Christianity, but the history of the world, Paul was so effective and so powerful in, in what he did and who he was. We know that once he gave his life to Christ, he did uh, some pretty important things. He wrote at least 13 books of the Bible, right? Most, uh, I say over half of the New Testament. We say at least 13 because there's a lot of theologians that believe he wrote the book of Hebrews, but we don't know for sure, and so we don't attribute it to him. We know that he went on at least three missionary journeys and for over 30 years, he preached the gospel boldly. He established believers. He appointed and trained, uh, mentored uh, elders and church planners. He, he planted churches around the known world the whole time while he's being persecuted. See, we don't, we don't even know what persecution is. What does that even mean for us in America? And maybe you've had a rough morning getting the kids together, but can I just read for you this morning what in Paul's own words, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 some of the description of his persecution it says this. It said he had countless beatings and often near death. Five times he received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. See, the Jews believed if they gave you 40, you would die. So let's just take one away. We'll give 39. Five times he had that happen. Three times he says, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night in hunger and, and thirst, often without food and in cold and exposure. And apart from all these other things, there's a daily pressure of me and my anxiety for all the churches. As a pastor, I go, amen, that's the only one I can really identify with. Paul's no stranger to persecution and difficulty. He faced it. He went through it. But the thing about Paul is he doesn't just uh, give up. He's an achiever. He's an overcomer. He loved to get things done. He loved to be the best at whatever he put his hands to. In fact, he begins to sort of mention uh, how awesome he was and his achievements here in uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. It says, if anyone else thinks... He has reason for confidence in the flesh. I have more. He says in verse 5, 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But he changes his tone, doesn't he, in verse 7. He said, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So it wasn't about all that he had done and all that he was. It was about his knowing Christ more. There's, there's a difference here. You can see it in this text where his significant lies. It wasn't in where he was from or what he had done. It's in who he knew. And Jesus counted it all as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Listen, at the very least, we can look at Paul's life and we can say that he was a pretty intense guy, right? He didn't do anything halfway, not Paul. Listen, we've been uh, introduced to Paul, or Saul, I should say, in our story here in the study of Acts and the study in the story of the church. First place we see Saul is in the um, stoning of Stephen. You remember the guys that were doing the dirty work, they were going to get hot and sweaty, so they took their coats off. And they went and laid their coats, the Bible says, at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul. It's the first time we hear of who Saul is. And the idea that they're laying their coats at his feet gives us some sense that maybe he's in charge of this murder. And then we see chapter 8 of Acts in the very first verse. It says, and Saul was pleased with Stephen's death. Can I just ask you, what kind of person is pleased in any death? Saul. And it makes me think Saul was responsible for that death. It makes me think he was in charge. And if nothing else, verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 1 tells us, or shows us, I should say, in a kind of a foreshadowing sort of way, who Saul's going to be. He's going to be a bounty hunter. He's going to hunt down these believers. He's going to bring them back to Jerusalem. They may live or die. He doesn't really care. It also kind of shows us possibly with this, um, almost this joy of Stephen's death. You almost see that maybe there really was a confrontation between Saul and Stephen. Remember when we talked about that? Stephen was given the wisdom of God and no one could argue with Stephen. The Holy Spirit was, he was so full of the Holy Spirit, he, he would win these arguments. And it makes sense that maybe Saul lost an argument to Stephen and now he smiles at his death. What's interesting to me this morning, my friends, is this. You know, between the polar opposites of Saul's murderous zeal for the, the temple and the law, and yet Paul's undeniable impact on the advancement of the gospel around the world, listen, lies one solitary experience. From who he was and what he did as a sinner, as an enemy of God to who he was and what he did as a champion of God. Somewhere between the two polar opposites lies one experience, and we just got to witness what we think maybe it looked a little bit like. This one experience, this one revelation of Jesus, it puts him on his knees. It opens his heart to the truth of who the Messiah is. It changes the course of his life for the rest of his life. And for those of us that know the story of Paul, we know it's going to cost him 
his life, right? Well, that's the story we get to study today, and I'm excited to study it. Before we get into our text, though, I want to um, say a big thank you to Pastor Jerry and to Jeff Franks, one of our elders, for holding it down the last two weeks and teaching. How blessed are we that they are part of our leadership team at South City? Thank you guys so much for doing what you do and loving us and, and bringing the word for us. We love you and appreciate your gifting for us. Let's look in the word this morning, can we? We're going to look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. And before I start reading this, can I just pray us a quick prayer? Father God, you and you alone are only worthy of this time. Thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your, your story that you're, you're telling us of the church. And God, it's my prayer with all of my heart that you and you alone would shine through the truth of this story. God, that you would give me a, a servant, God, just give me the words that you would have me to say. Lord, I pray that we would remember the things, Lord, you want us to remember and that you would wash away anything, God, that I would say that wouldn't be of you. Lord, we surrender our hearts to you, God. We pray that your spirit would move in us and in the power of your word, that it truly would change us, because it changes everything. In Jesus' precious name, in the body of Christ said, amen, amen. Acts 9, verse 1. But Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight. He neither, he neither ate nor drank. First thing I want us to see this morning, we're going to read all the way through verse 31. But today I want to just kind of chop this up in some digestible sections if we can and talk through those sections. The first thing in this section I want us to see is this. The Sanhedrin. This is kind of the court, the group of Pharisees and Sadducees that are to oversee uh, the law, the nation of Israel, how, how they're supposed to worship. They are done with the way. They are done with this Jesus message. We see it in the stoning of Stephen, right? That's kind of the catalyst. It's like, at this point, we're done. We don't want to hear any more about it. What's interesting is they had allowed the, uh, the way, if you call them, the saints, the church, they had allowed them to meet around the temple, on the temple grounds, Church was just going up to the temple and doing worship and talking about Jesus. They were doing church all through the streets. God was healing people all through the streets. But at this point, the Sanhedrin says, enough. We're done. We want them dead. We either want them bound as prisoners or we want them dead. And that's what we see in this story as we come into it. Now, we've talked about the beautiful community of the church in Acts 2 and Acts 4. We see this unbelievable community of people who care for one another and worship together and they grow together. But now, because of this persecution, they're being 
they're being scattered, if you will, all throughout the known world. And listen, the church is devastated. They don't know if they're going to live from one day to the next. They're being scattered into the known world all over the place. But the beauty of God is that he never wastes a crisis. Did you know that? He never wastes something that's difficult in our lives. He uses it for his glory and our good if we let him. And what he does with the scattering of these people is he takes the word, the seed of the gospel of Jesus, into the world because of this persecution. In other words, Stephen's death is the launching pad. It's the launching pad for the gospel to go into the world. What the enemy tries to stop, God uses to spread the gospel of Jesus in every direction. I want to just mention this kind of as an aside. Damascus is 170 miles from Jerusalem. Now, this showed them walking. <laughs> Many people think they were probably riding horses, but even on horseback, and I love horses, but I don't want to be on one for two weeks straight, you know what I mean? That's what it would have taken to get to Damascus. And that's by Google's directions and nice roads, right? Walking maybe a month. Saul was serious about his persecution of the church. Uh, I, I've got to confess this. When I, see, when I see that scene and I see Saul fall down on his knees, I kind of go, yeah. I'll go, do you do that? I don't know. I know it may not be right. I don't know. But it, it just, it's kind of like that scene in the movie where the bully keeps beating everybody up and then finally some kid stands up and clocks him in the jaw. You know what I mean? And you're like, yes. That's what it feels like. In fact, Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He says, he says Saul must have been riding a very, very high horse. But he was knocked to the ground, face on the ground, when, he showed, when Jesus showed himself to Saul. He was humbled. I love that Jesus says to him, he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Did you notice that? Why are you persecuting me? Why wouldn't he say, Saul, why are you persecuting the disciples? Why are you, why are you persecuting the way? Why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting the apostles? He doesn't say that. He says, why are you persecuting me? Do you know why? Because we are the body of Christ. I just said that at the end of my prayer. It's not just a, a word. It's not just an idea. We are the body of Christ on the earth. He's with us. He said he would be with us to the end of the age, right? That means he's in us and he's with us. And let me tell you what it also means. It means that God sees every act of persecution against his body. Today, while we sit in this air-conditioned room, by the way, it almost wasn't. Thankful to Michael Height for uh, getting it going for us. It was, it was kind of iffy this week, so you'll be glad to know it's on today. But as we sit in this air-conditioned, beautiful building, there are people all around the world who are dying for the cause of Christ. And not one drop of blood or one soul is unseen by our God. He sees them, and he's with them. He's with us. He's with us. He's in us. He promised that he would be. And guess what? He is. Now this man's so tall, so proud, so confident, this champion of the temple, now on his hands and knees. And I love the way they close that scene out with him just screaming out. Because now he's a little shaken up. He's led by hand. This man that rode this high horse is now led by hand into Damascus. He is shaken up. The scripture says that he didn't eat or drink for three days. 
Three days. Let me just put it in, in our terms that we can understand it. Saul was freaked out. He was jacked up. His mind was messed up. Have you ever been there? I, I know you have probably. Where you walk through some event in your life and it messes you up. Maybe you, you lost a loved one. You lost a child. You lost a job. You lost a relationship. Something happened to you in some way that it absolutely devastated you. And when you see this story of Saul not being able to eat or drink, you go, yeah, I get that. I get that. You, your, your body just shuts down in a way, and you just don't know what to do from this point to the next. That's where Paul's at. He's freaked out. And his, his friends have to literally take him by hand to Damascus. Let's continue our text. Verse 10 says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. I love Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, uh, in a vision, a man named Ananias is going to come and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Verse 13, but Ananias answered, Lord, I, I have heard about uh, from many about this man, how much evil he has done in your sights at Jerusalem. And here uh, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake, for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and he entered the house and Laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may, you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Not just uh, Saul as, as the main character. Here we have another character that's introduced, right? Ananias. He's kind of a, a minor character in a way and kind of a major character in a way. We don't really hear much about him from besides this. But what he does is huge. And the first thing I want us to see is that God uses visions. He uses visions to this day to show us his will. He showed Ananias a vision. He also showed Saul a vision. I couldn't help but think about the vision he showed me over two years ago. I don't have a whole lot of visions, and so when I, when I feel like the Lord lays something like that on my heart, I, uh, I try to take it serious. I couldn't sleep. It was the middle of the night, and the Lord laid on my heart a vision for what we could be doing here at South City Church. And he gave me some very specific direction, very specific ideas, and even the names of people. Julian, your name was on that list. There were, there were people in my heart, in my, in, in my mind, that I thought, I believe God might want to bring them. And do something significant for the gospel in this community. And I don't know all the details, but it, it, I was freaked out, kind of like Paul. I didn't have a problem eating for three days. I was okay there. But, uh, <laughs> but it kind of messed me up a little bit. And uh, the thing that, about Ananias is he obeyed immediately. It took me about ten months of praying to finally pay attention. God uses visions, and sometimes he gives very specific directions. 
Don't discredit a vision from God. Don't discredit it. God can use it. I also want you to see that when something happens in our lives, it devastates us. And it knocks the wind out of our sails, and we don't know what to do, whether we should eat or drink or the next step of our lives. Saul shows us what we should do. Remember what it said he was doing? He was praying. God told Ananias in his vision that Saul was praying. Listen, the best thing you can do when you walk through brokenness is not try and figure it out. It's just to pray. The best thing you can do when you don't understand what's going on is just to stop. Not even take another step. Maybe not even eat or drink, but just to say, God, I need you, and I'm going to seek you with all that I am, and just to begin to pray. That's what we see Saul is doing. He's praying. It's the best thing we can do. Next thing I want us to see is that God works on both ends of the assignment. I'm smiling because when God laid on my heart that vision uh, for South City, it wasn't just my heart that he laid it on. God often lays a vision at both ends of the assignment. So when Ananias got a vision to go to Saul's place where Saul was staying, he also gave a vision to Saul. See, when he, he closed the gap. On both ends, you could see God working. In the same way, when God gave me a vision and a heart for what maybe God wanted to do here at Temple Baptist Church, he gave it to that man as well. And so when I, I sat down with him over breakfast, I was nervous as a wreck, and I couldn't eat, interestingly, which is not usually a problem. But that day, I couldn't eat. I was nervous. And I began to share the vision and the idea that God had laid on my heart with Brother Jerry. And you know what he did? He just started weeping. Because he sensed in that moment that God was working on both ends. He was completing the circle of his mission. You see, sometimes we feel like God may want me to go do something, but I'm just so afraid. I don't know how it's going to work out. But God is working on both ends. So maybe somebody at your work that you feel like God's been laying on my heart to witness to that person. He's working on both ends. I think maybe God may be calling me into ministry, but I don't know how it's going to work. How am I going to leave my job and where would he send me? He's working on both ends. He completes the whole circle. We don't have to know all the details. He will figure it out. Do you remember what Romans 8 says? It says he's working all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He is working his assignment for you, for me, on both ends. Ananias, I love Ananias' response to God. Um, I just like this guy. He's real. And I'm going I'm to... See if I can exegete this from from the Greek um, and try to give you a translation that's discernible for what Ananias says back to God. He says something like, say what? (laughs) That's basically what Ananias says to God. Look at it in verse 13. Ananias answered, "Um, Lord, excuse excuse me, Lord, I've heard uh, from many, not one or two, From many, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, okay? And he has, now he has authority here, like where I live, here in Damascus, from the chief priest to bind. That means take them to prison, Lord, and all who call on your name, and that could be me. Ananias says, "Uh, say what? 
You want me to do what, God? And by the way, that's kind of what I said to God. Listen, what I love about this moment with Ananias is God's not afraid of our authenticity. He's not afraid for us to just speak how we feel. Sometimes we're fearful. Sometimes we have questions. Sometimes we don't know all the details, and God's okay with that. He's okay with those questions. He's not afraid of those questions. He's not afraid of that authenticity. He's not afraid of that, that anger or whatever you're walking through. Have you read the Psalms? David, man, he used to lay it out before God. He's not afraid of you being real. And Ananias is real in this moment. He says, basically, Lord, I'm afraid. I'm afraid, and I don't know what the outcome is going to be. This is what God says to Ananias in verse 15. In his, in his grace, God kind of answers Ananias. He says, Ananias, go. And this is why. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now I want you to see something this morning. This blew my mind this week when I was looking at this. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Saul, he's not just a bad guy. He doesn't only not know God. He's an enemy of God. He is against the church. He wants them dead or in prison. He, he's not a good person. He smiles. He's pleased at the death of the saints. So God, I'm confused. How could you see that he is your chosen instrument to carry your name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel? Let me tell you how. God sees potential in you, even if you don't know him yet, even if you don't understand him yet, even if you're afraid, even if you're an enemy of God, and you listen to my words and the words of this message, and you go, you're full of it, and there's nothing in that book that means anything to me. That's okay what you say. God sees your heart. He sees your potential. He sees what he can do with you in spite of you. Praise God. Listen, even if your heart is full of hate, selfishness, sinfulness, and is far from God, he sees the potential in you. I also want you to see that everything God says about Saul comes true. Every single thing. He does take the gospel of Jesus to the Gentiles. He does take the gospel of Jesus to the children of Israel. And he does take this gospel before kings. Let me tell you something. God's promises are always true. They always come true. You can take it to the bank, church. It's real. It's true. And we see this in this context. Verse 16. <laughs> he says, for I will show him how much he must suffer for, my, for the sake of my name. Listen, I, a few years ago, I walked through a really difficult time in my life and ministry. Um, I mean, really, probably the toughest time I've ever walked through in my entire life. It was one of those moments where the wind got kicked out of my sails and out of my gut, and I didn't know what to do. I almost curled up in a fetal position in depression. I was struggling. I was struggling. And I can't remember exactly where I was. I think I was in a restaurant or, I don't know, somewhere, and I, I saw on social media or in a book I read something, this quote from the, this great man, A.W. Tozier, 
And this is what it says. I think we have it to put on the screen. It says, it is doubtful whether God can use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. It's doubtful whether God can use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. When I read that quote, I was sitting there in the middle of my own brokenness, in the middle of my own questions, in the middle of my own fear, I just began to bawl my eyes out. I just wept. And the reason I wept is because now I had hope. See, I didn't have to walk through that brokenness and that wounding and that struggle for no reason. This quote helped me to realize that God doesn't waste a crisis. He doesn't waste brokenness. He doesn't waste anything in your life if you'll let him. And so in that moment, in my brokenness, I just felt so much hope. I just began to weep, and I said, God, you're going to use all my broken heart. You're going to use all these things that have happened to me greatly. You can use me greatly even though I've walked through this. Yeah, I can. I can. It reminds me of the lump of clay in the, the potter's wheel. <laughs> Lori and I have had a chance to... to to mold stuff out of clay on a potter's wheel at different places. And, you know, they, they start with this brick, basically. It's a brick of clay, and it is hard as a rock. It's hard as a rock. And if you put it in the sun, it would become a brick. But when you put it on the potter's wheel, he has to start beating it up. He literally starts beating it with his hands, with his fist. He's beating it up, and it, it begins to soften and flatten, and he molds it and moves it and in just a little bit of time, it's easier to work with. It's not so hard. It's not so uh, dense. Now it's pliable and moldable. This just reminds me that's exactly what God does with our broken and hard hearts. Sometimes he has to beat it up so that we can just go, okay, God, do whatever you want. Shape me into the image you choose, not what I choose. It's not my story. It's yours, God. Mold me. See, God doesn't enjoy our suffering. Make no mistake, God doesn't enjoy your suffering. It's more that we're not ready for how he wants to use us until we get a right understanding of who we are and whose we are. He can't use us to, to the effect that he wants to until we get a good understanding that we're not doing them. This is not something we, we can just do ministry-wise and we're, we're in control and what a great gift we are to the ministry. No. See, Paul was going around striding. He thought God needed him to protect the law, needed him to protect the, the temple. God didn't need him that way. He had to break him down, didn't he? He had to humble him in such a way that he was like, you ready? Now are you ready? Now do you see truth? Look at verse 17. One of the reasons I love Ananias. It's very simple. Even though Ananias has had questions, it just says, He departed. He departed. You know what that means? It means Ananias obeyed. And I want you to look at how he obeyed. He obeyed immediately. When God lays something on your heart and he gives you a vision to do it, obey immediately. Even if you don't understand the specifics of it. Even if you've heard from many people about something. Even if you don't understand what the outcome might be, obey immediately. Even if you're afraid. I want you to see something. Saul, Saul didn't get saved on the road to Damascus. Did you know that? 
That was, that was not planned. Uh, he didn't get saved on the road to Damascus. Let me tell you what happened on the road to Damascus. He became aware. He had an experience with Jesus. But the Bible tells us in our text that it wasn't until the obedience of Ananias, when Ananias comes to the home, and he lays his hands on Saul. Remember? And what's so beautiful is Ananias, he, he speaks sort of in a future tense to Saul. And he says, Brother Saul. See that? I love that. Ananias could also see the potential in Saul. And the Bible says that when he began to pray for him, that the Holy Spirit came on Saul and filled him. What I want you to see in this is, listen, you never know. You never, never know how God is going to use your obedience for somebody's salvation, for somebody's story, for somebody's ministry. You know, there's different people. There's the Billy Grahams of the world who've, who've witnessed and preached to, to millions, and they've seen millions come to Jesus. It's unbelievable. Ananias doesn't have millions. He got one. But that was a big deal, wasn't it? It was Paul. There's no telling who God will lead you to this week. I thought we had a picture. We didn't show it, but I'd love to show the picture from this week, guys, of VBS. To show the picture of all, some of our kids, that's from the stage. We had such, yeah. You know what's great about that picture is every one of those children and every one of the children back there and every one of the children here, all of them have potential to follow Christ and to make Christ known. Every one of them. And we're speaking with future tense and believing for God to do something in their lives. We never know what kind of work God is going to do in someone's life. We just have to be obedient to what he's called us to. Listen, here's the thing. Being awakened to the truth, that, that experience on the road to Damascus wasn't enough. It wasn't enough, and this is what I mean. I think it freaked him out. I think he prayed. I think he sought the Lord. I think his mind was spinning because if anybody knew the prophecies of Jesus, if anybody knew about Messiah, it would have been Paul or Saul. And he didn't know what to do with all that, and then the Lord is bringing clarity to him as he sits there and prays for three days. But being awakened to the truth is not enough. You have to choose. See, uh, there's this little piece of scripture in this, in this text that says that he gets up, and it kind of goes by fast. You might miss it, but it says he gets baptized, right? No one's forcing Saul under the water. <laughs> Saul knew exactly what he was doing when he went under the water to be baptized. This is a big deal. Saul chose to follow Christ. He chose to be identified with Christ. He went under the water to say, I'm not my own anymore. I'm his. And we're going to see in just a minute that Saul does some other things to follow Christ. Listen, I remember my story of being awakened to the truth. One of the moments in my life, I was in high school, and God wrecked me. And I had a choice to just go, well, that must have been something I ate, or I just was weird, or that was just, I don't know, I can just dismiss. Sometimes we can dismiss those moments. But instead, I said, no, Lord, that was your voice, and that was your grace. And I chose to follow him. Saul chose to follow him, and we know how God began to use his life. Verse 18, scales fell from his eyes, he regained his sight, he was baptized, he ate, and he was strengthened. He chose to be identified with Christ. I want to continue our 
text this morning. At the end of verse 19, it says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Days. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. I want to look at a couple things right here. (laughs) Do you notice the word days? You see, Saul goes in a matter of days from murder, murderer, to missionary. Just like that. From murderer to missionary. What was he missing? What was he missing beforehand that he didn't have after? I can only think of two things. Jesus and humility. (laughs) The two things we need to be used of God. He had a lot of education. He knew a lot of the, the Old Testament. He knew the prophecies of Messiah. But he didn't have Jesus. Now he has Jesus and humility, and God gives them to him in the same exact moment. Now, there's a little side note I want to give to you as we study this text that I think is important. Dr. Luke doesn't give us um, an awareness to this, but right, bet- right between verses 21 and 22, something pretty significant happens. Between verses 21 and 22, Paul, you know, he doesn't automatically go to Jerusalem. Paul actually chooses to go the opposite direction. He chooses to follow Christ, not go back to his old life. And he goes to a place called Arabia. He goes there for three years to prepare to be with the Lord, to prepare to be in ministry for the Lord, where God led him to go. Look with me what he says in the very first book that he wrote, Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. He says, But when he had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, that's in the road to Damascus, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He says, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. What's so interesting is when you reread the last verse of that, verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength. Now we know why. This is three years of building up. You work out for three years, you're going to look a little different, aren't you? Three years. And it says he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus. God was working on him. He was building in him who he wanted him to be. His background, his experience, all that Saul had known was the perfect person to confound the Jews. He's the perfect one to to preach the Messiah, Jesus, to the Jews. They didn't know what to do with him. Let's keep reading our text, verse 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night, and in order to kill him, uh, but his disciples, now he's got disciples, his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. It's like a movie. He has to go covert out of the city of Damascus, verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas 
took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So here's Saul. He, he was a murderer, and now he's a missionary, and now he's the most wanted. <laughs> he has become an incredible teacher, and especially with the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. God is using him tremendously, and the Sanhedrin, they don't like it. They don't want him. In fact, they want him dead. In fact, Saul's in a rough place. Nobody wants him. <laughs> the, the Jews want him dead. The disciples didn't trust him because he, they thought that he wanted them dead, right? But guess what? God wanted him. That's all he needed. That's all he needed. And sometimes it may seem like your family doesn't want you because now you're going to follow Christ. Or maybe your friends, you're, they don't want to have anything to do with you because you want to follow Christ. Don't worry about them. God is enough. He is enough. And if he has a plan and a design for your life, just be bold enough to follow it. He preached boldly this message of Messiah. And it says that he spoke and disputed with the Hellenists, which is interesting that Luke puts this in there because Saul was a Hellenist. He was a Hellenistic Jew. So what Luke is telling us here is he went to his own people. And he tried to win his own people. And he disputed with his own people. And what did it get him? They wanted to kill him. Sometimes your very own people are the last people to give you a chance. <laughs> Prophet is not welcome in his own country, Scripture says. Sometimes your own people are the last people to actually follow you or trust you or give you a chance. These are the same people that killed Stephen. So when Saul's doing all this preaching, he's basically stepping right into Stephen's stead. Into the danger, into the moment of who knows what's going to happen. But Saul's not worried about the outcome. He's a fighter. <laughs> I have this vision in my mind, verse 30. Let me read it again. Verse 30 says, Then when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. I, I was telling Daryl this week, I just have this vision, you know, sometimes in movies, or maybe you've seen this in real life, a fight scene, right? There's a bunch of guys, a fight's broken out, and this one guy's a fighter, and he doesn't care. And he's fighting his own friends so that he can get to the guy he wants to fight, you know. And his friends are holding him back. That's what's happening here. I think Saul, he doesn't, if he dies, he dies. I don't think he's afraid. I think he's a fighter. And his friends are holding him back. And how good it is for us to learn. We need a community that has more wisdom sometimes than we do, right? We need people around us that are willing, even though we're ready to fight, sometimes to go, this is not the right place at the right time. We need friends who are willing to hold us back and say, there'll be another day to fight. Let's just trust. Let's just hope. And what do they do? They send him home. This was Saul of Tarsus, and so they send him back to Tarsus, the safest place for him to go possibly, and the place where he likely set up his ministry for several years to the Gentiles. And we end our message this morning with Dr. Luke sharing this one very important verse uh, Acts 9.31. But before I read it, I want to I remind you of something. Remember when I said God keeps his promises? He does. Jesus said to the disciples in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Remember what he said? He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Where? 
Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Remember when he said that? Acts chapter 1. Look what Dr. Luke says in Acts 9, 31. So the church throughout all Judea, we already know that he's been moving in Jerusalem, throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria, had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Does God keep his word? You better believe he does. This is playing out exactly the way Jesus said that it would because this is his story and he's writing it. It's not our story. That ought to give us hope. I'm sure it gave the disciples hope. The gospel and the great commission of Jesus was going to go forth. And I want to close just focused on these two little words. I think it's a very interesting statement here. By the way, you remember when I talked about the sections of Acts? Not the chapters that, that have been placed on Acts, but the sections of the book of Acts. There's six sections of the book of Acts. Today we close out section two with this verse, Acts 9.31. But I want to focus on these two words real quick before we go. It says, and they're kind of strange. It says, the people were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Who would put those two words together, fear and comfort? Strange pairing. But I want you to see this, listen. <laughs> when we walk in the fear of the Lord, what this means is that we have a right perspective of who God is. We know he's a holy God. And he is to be feared. Not that we be afraid, but that we walk in reverence of who he is. And when our lives are lived in such a way that we fear him, that we, we, we love him, we're living in his purpose and in his way. We walk in the fear of the Lord. God will give you comfort. He will give you comfort. He will give you the joy of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit can either give you comfort because you're walking in his way, or he can give you discomfort. Trust me. God, through the Holy Spirit, can convict your heart. And I think that every one of us today is probably feeling one of those two things. Either you're walking in the comfort that the Holy Spirit has given you because you're walking in the truth of who he is, who you know him to be. Or maybe even right now in this moment, you're sitting here with something unsettled in your heart. And maybe it's a real fear. Maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior. Maybe the Holy Spirit is, is touching and moving your heart to truth. And you're uncomfortable. If that's the case, would you surrender? If that's the case, would you just say, Lord, I want to obey. Maybe God's shown you something this morning that you need to do, that you need to follow up. I want to give us the takeaway this morning as we finish up couple of quick points. Saul, Ananias, they're amazing men, but this story is not about them. It's about Jesus. It's about the fact that he can see into our lives of brokenness and disobedience and rebellion, and he can see potential for who he wants us to be if we'll let him, if we'll choose to be baptized, if we'll choose to continue to go in the direction God wants us to go, not turn back to Jerusalem. Not go back to what you've known, but no, Lord, I'm done with that. I'm done. I'm walking in your way. I'm walking in who you want me to be. Spirit might be leading you in that direction. Let me just say this as we close. Has God given you a divine appointment like he did, Saul? 
Maybe it wasn't as dramatic as a, as, a, as a light that blinded you for three days. But you know God spoke to your heart. You know God said for you to do something, and you may or may not have done it. Don't let a crisis be wasted. Don't let brokenness of your life be wasted. When God gives you a moment, when God gives you a, a divine revelation of who Jesus is, say yes. Make a choice to follow him, whatever the cost, no matter if you understand or afraid or you don't know the outcome, just say yes. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Saul had a choice, Ananias had a choice. And this morning you have a choice. I have a choice. Say, Lord, yes. I say yes. I say yes to giving you my life. I say yes to following you wherever you would lead me. I say yes to, to saying something to that person at work or, or being this person that I need to be in my home and my family. God, I say yes to, to stopping this addiction of sin. I say yes, Lord, to whatever you're calling me to. I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired. I need to surrender to you. You've shown me a revelation of who you are. Help me to choose you right now in this moment. Father God, I pray for my friends. Lord, I pray that, that even now as we go into this time of communion, as we go into this time of invitation, that we seek you, that we love you. Father God, that we bow our hearts before you and we say, Lord, what would you have me do? I choose you. My answer is yes, no matter what your question is to me. My answer is yes. Forgive me and lead me and give me the future, God, that you have destined for me. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that your spirit would comfort and convict in this moment for your glory and our good and that we would say yes to you in Jesus' name.